0: Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. And welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled if you've got a pulse; this podcast is for you. If you're hungry for more, if you're fed up with the empty promises of the world, Jesus has more for you. We have been called to communion in Jesus. We have been given the mission of bringing people to Jesus and bringing revival to the church. So our title, New Manna, it comes from John 6, 58, where Jesus says, This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is the New Manna. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus himself gives himself to us totally every day. In the Holy Eucharist. So every episode of New Manna will consist of two things, Eucharistic testimony from clergy and lay leaders, followed by a conversation on a bite-sized piece of a papal document pertaining to the Eucharist and worship. So today I have the distinct pleasure of being joined by Father Pat Sullivan and Father Andrew Strobel. Fathers, thanks for being here. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, mm. Thanks for inviting us.
0: Yeah, yeah, so good. Uh, so tell us about... Where you're at, what's your assignment? What's life look like for you right now?
2: Yeah, so Father Pat Sullivan, again, I'm the pastor at Sacred Heart of Jesus in Shawnee. We have a number of Sacred Heart parishes in the Archdiocese, I think at least five, yeah, yeah, if not more. Uh, We're in the far northwest corner of Johnson County, so. Great parish, absolutely love it. Um, We have about two thousand families, uh, K through eight school, and close to four hundred students. And I'm there by myself, kind of, but Mm -hmm. I've got sacramental help from Father John Riley, one of our vicar generals and uh, chancellor for the archdiocese, and. It keeps me very, very busy, but Definitely. I love every minute of it. Amen.
1: Awesome. And I'm Father Andrew Strobel, pastor at Holy Spirit Catholic Parish in Overland Park, Kansas, right in the middle of Overland Park, where 435, I-35, and 69 Highway kind of right. come together. And uh, so it's a it's a beautiful area. It's a beautiful uh, community. And I've been here just in my second year now, um, which has been awesome. And I'm really excited to be here. Here, talking about the new man on. Come on. Yes. Come on. <laughs> and for
0: all of our listeners out there who are, like, not familiar with Kansas City, Kansas City's big, and it's split by a state line, and there's, on the Kansas side, there's just, I mean, it doesn't matter where you are, but there's just, like, tons of subdivisions, right? These little, mm-hmm. like, these little boroughs. And they're not so little. Like, Overland Park's massive. Um, but Shawnee's on the left side. We're out on the western side. You got Lanex up there. It doesn't matter. But KC's big, and we're so blessed to have, uh, yeah, such a, a widely, like, a wide range of, I don't know, populations, cultures, diversity, whatever. Um, But yeah, how, Father Pat, take us, uh, I mean, how long have you been a priest? Where, you know, yeah, how long have you been at Sacred Heart? Yeah, I forgot
2: to mention that. I'm seven and a half years there, so July of 2015 is when I began uh, being a pastor there. And I am actually myself and Father Andrew were both classmates and were ordained at the same time. Went to the seminary saints. together. That's right. Um, Mundelein Seminary, ordained in 2009. Um, so finishing up our 14th year. <laughs> is it? Or is it 30? <laughs> yeah, something around there. <laughs> yeah, it's an inside joke. Roundup. Um, yeah, I, I get that wrong every now and again. Um, Just long story short, I grew up Catholic, uh, went to 12 years of Catholic school, great Catholic parents, but I fell away from the faith when I was in my mid-teens, like sadly so many young people, and I wasn't going to Mass, wasn't praying, just kind of living the ways of the world, and when I was 28 years old, I went on a retreat a good friend of mine could tell that i was kind of at a crossroads in my life and him and his family had attended a curcio uh, if you're familiar if any of the listeners out there are i'm sure there's plenty and that really changed everything for me yep. it uh, kind of whipped me into shape and it was at that point that i started doing a lot more within the church um, helping out in rcia starting to read church history, church fathers, yeah. bringing communion to the sick and homebound, mm. and then also with that uh, Eucharistic adoration, which was foreign to me before that. Yeah. Again, sadly, uh, at 28 years old and 12 years of Catholic school, Sure. Um, that's where I was at mm. in my life. And again, long story short, this is the Reader's Digest version, <laughs> actually. Um, some years would pass, and I would discern. And the thing I was doing the most was Eucharistic adoration out of all of it. Um, And I remember going to adoration one evening, and when I got home, I was just really pumped up and feeling good, as we most often do after adoration. And I remember thinking, if if all this church stuff you're doing and if spending time with the Lord in this unique way uh, bring you so much peace and happiness, why not make it your life's work? And that's when I realized I, I thought I was being called to the priesthood. Mm. And at the same time, I was just kind of like, holy smoke, I think yeah. I'm being called to the priesthood. <laughs> so right. a little shocking at the moment, but that's the quick and short of it. And it never dissipated, my love for the Eucharist. Sure. And, um, yeah, it, it just brought me so much peace and clarity yeah. and discernment. Mm.
0: Um, so, yeah. Uh, so good. Praise God. Praise God. So you—tell uh, us more about the, the Curcio uh, retreat. What was it that happened there that really kind of— Right. Yeah. Well, the very first evening of a Curcio,
2: um, and I don't want to give too much of it away. It's kind of like a good uh, movie okay. where you don't want to reveal, no, it's it's all good— the first night of a curcio is the retreat portion where you are in silence and but you also go to confession Mm. there's an opportunity to go to confession and so i went forgive me father for i have sinned it's been 12 years since my last confession sure and had a really good confession a really great confessor and the rest of the evening was spent in much peace and i really can't explain it but i had this clarity that i was exactly where i needed to be at that moment and from there the days after that there's uh, two and a half days after that that there's a lot of talks Mm. witnesses um and different things that's that, great that go on, and mm. and uh, it was an amazing experience. Like I said, it changed my life. Part of a curcio mm-hmm. is is living out your what they call the fourth day, so mm-hmm. it's a three day, and that's really focusing on accountability as you meet with a, a group of individuals from a curcio that you went on, and then evangelizing. Yeah. you know, bringing other people to Christ in the different ways. Uh, that our Lord puts in front of you. And that was a little hard for me at the beginning sure. because I was also kind of just, uh, I was on my reversion, right? Um, but that's a Curcio yeah. uh, in a nutshell. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's it sounds like it's familiar, it's similar to Kairos or uh, Koinonia, if people know that. or Exactly. That, yeah. Kairos, um, Chirp, those are all
2: what I would, Sure. term children of Curcio yeah. offshoots and are excellent in and of themselves sure. as well. And so, yeah, after that, as I said, yeah. I did my discernment and I was ordained when I was 39 years old. So what they cool. t- term a second career vocation is actually my third career
0: at that point in my third and final. So gotcha. Cool. Father, take us, uh, Father Strobel, Father Andrew, take us back to, yeah, the beginning for you. What was it like falling in love with Jesus?
1: Well, I was blessed with a great family um, who raised me in the faith. My mom was Presbyterian. My dad was Catholic. Up until the moment I received my first communion, that was the year my mom came into the Catholic Church, which was great. And they always brought us to Mass. Um, It was just normal. My brother and I grew up serving Mass. I was on the youth group. I was on the committee to choose a youth minister at one point, and all of that but i don't know if my heart was like that on fire yet but it was it was definitely like a beautiful natural accompaniment with the lord in the eucharist throughout my life up to that point mm. and then when i went to college of course um you had the challenge then of living out the faith on your own for the first time and i i didn't consistently make it to mass i didn't seek out the lord in the eucharist like i should until one advent a buddy of mine who was my resident assistant asked me if I wanted to go to a penance service that day. um, And I said, okay. And that was the first time I'd ever gone to confession on my own initiative um, without having my parents bring me or like bringing priests into the school I was at. So thanks be to God, I went up to the first pew. I still remember the priest, Father Pat Riley at St. Matthew's Parish in Topeka, Kansas. And it was the first time I didn't make just like my same old, same old confession. Before that, I would only say, um, I was uh, disobedient to my parents, so I was mean to my brother, and I'm sorry. But there was a lot more there that I <laughs> right. needed to yeah, get off my chest and, and just hand over to the Lord. And um, it was beautiful because I, I finally accepted the grace to surrender completely. And after that, I got this hunger. And I think it really was a hunger mostly for the Eucharist mm. um, to know, love, and serve our Lord there. Um, I didn't have like an amazing conversion overnight, but it definitely like set me up to um to get more involved at my campus center to pray more each day i signed up to be a backup uh adorer in the middle of the night at most to mary church down the street nice. which was great um but it sent me up yeah to really start to invest more uh in the faith and and the lord like called me to himself to, it really culminated then when i was a junior um i had already been discerning the priesthood at that point and uh i was getting sick of going to confession, which I started to go to regularly, and confessing that I was missing mass because I was on the debate team. Mm-hmm. So I was on the speech and debate team in college, and in college there's no divisions, like division one, division two, whatever, for um, like the sports. Yeah, you're just in there with everybody. So right. little old Washburn University, we were competing against K-State and Cal Berkeley and Notre Dame and Texas and Nebraska and all these schools. And, and uh, for
0: our listeners out there who don't know this, because father's not going to say this because he's <laughs> humble, but father's Travel here was number one in what category was it?
1: I was number one seed in persuasive speaking one year at nationals and I and I messed up in the quarterfinals, but um, which was, it was a shame, but I wanted to get back <laughs> and win nationals, um, which was a real goal. And uh, that year, though, my junior year after I'd done that in my sophomore year, um, I really had this crisis of well, can I still compete if I'm missing mass? Right. And so I went and talked to my debate coach and she said that, yeah, I I wanted to go to mass each weekend that we were on these tournaments. She said, yeah, we can make that happen. She said, except for nationals, I can't guarantee that if you're in one of the quarterfinals or semifinals or finals, you're going to be able to make it to mass. And I said, okay, well, if that's the case, then I I give up my scholarship and I quit. Mm. And that was like huge. Like the graces that came from that, were amazing, um, wow. and I've never missed a Sunday mass since. Thanks be to God. It's easier not to miss now that I'm a priest, right? <laughs> yeah, very yeah. hard. You got yeah. somewhere to be. Yeah, yeah. But uh, God is good, and uh, and that was a huge turning point for me. Wow, that's so
0: cool. So you literally, it was that moment you you came to a a precipice, if you mm-hmm. will, and it was you had to make a call. Yeah, if something wow. was
1: more important than the Eucharist, and um, thanks be to God, He gave me the grace to to stay close to Him. That's so cool.
2: And and if I could, Lee, I will attest to the fact that Father Andrew is very persuasive, and <laughs> and I, as as a friend for good grief, almost almost twenty years now, counting going into seminary, um, has been able to convince me and persuade me in many ways. And but, to be
0: here today. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, exactly, <laughs> working backwards today and many,
0: many other times, in a good way, in yeah. a good way, yeah, so. Yeah. So good, yeah. Um, Father, tell us about the role of, um, yeah, like, what was it like, um, you, you said your your mom came into the church, mm-hmm. like, when you were in second grade, I, yeah. I would take it, mm-hmm. First Communion, so what was that like?
1: Um, it was interesting, because um, I didn't realize it at the time, obviously, as a seven-year-old, how significant that was, but now like looking back over our lives and seeing that my mom was uh, really in all humility mm. willing to enter into the Catholic faith because um, her parents were strong Presbyterians, um, very involved in their church. Um, my Her brother, my uncle, is a Presbyterian minister. Mm. Um, so, you know, and she had powerful experiences in the Presbyterian church growing up. Sure. Um, and so Uh, It was a a lot for her to, you know, want to become Catholic, but, you know, she was blessed to have a religious sister that really took her under her wing Mm. and uh, brought her to know and love our Lord in the Catholic faith. And, um, you know, it it required, you know, a good amount of humility, but thanks be to God, she's been an incredible witness since. And now her and my dad are are super involved still at the parish. Um, They're involved with the Sarah Club, Sarah International that supports vocations and, um, they get after it; they really do, and I'm proud of them. So,
0: it's good. And you said you have an aunt that's uh, a religious. Oh no, no.
1: So my uncle's a, a Presbyterian minister. Right. Right. Yeah. You said, and then a, a, just a sister at the parish. Oh, gotcha, with gotcha, my mom. gotcha. Yeah, I see, I see. Cool.
0: Well, yeah, it just goes to show like how even though you, you I mean, you just usually see those like adult conversions, um, like around these sacramental times, for example, like mm-hmm. getting married. Like a lot of people come into the church for that. Um, but how cool that it it wasn't that yeah, for your mom and it was something later.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we do find that, that um, families decide, you know, once their children are old enough to receive our Lord in the Eucharist, like they, they really have that moment of discernment of, are we going to do this together? Right. Are we still going to try to do, do things separate, go to church service over here and then mass over here?
0: Yeah. And I just love that you said how uh, your friend uh, he basically said, "Hey, you want to go repent with me?" <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It was it was not a normal conversation. We we were used to watching Seinfeld every day, like four times a day. We didn't talk about the faith a lot, but thanks be to God, he was Catholic. That's so funny. That's so yeah, funny. It might
2: have been like like uh, no, <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> exactly. Maybe yeah. Tom- I'll
0: do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll pass. do it tomorrow. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I was a go with guy, so <laughs> nice.
0: Um, so tell us about your relationship with the Eucharist today. Like, obviously it's unique as priests, but when it comes to your personal prayer, like what what's your what's your relationship with the Eucharist like today? Yeah, so just to back up
2: a little bit, sure. I, I mentioned previously that it was through the Curcio that, you know, I started to do more adoration and understand the Lord and the Blessed Sacrament, but... As it always does with everybody, especially with a devotion to our Eucharistic Lord, it it evolves and it didn't happen right away. Sure, as a matter of fact, wanting to be a priest or feeling called to be a priest was really more of a call to service and something that I just really can't explain. Yeah, um, but it wasn't necessarily eucharistically focused. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was going to adoration, it started to be a thing of like when I needed something. Yeah. Or or I should say in a, a difficult time. I remember going in the middle of the night um, because a girl I was dating at the time mm-hmm. before I decided to be a priest, of course, and go to seminary, uh, we had broken up and I was heartbroken. And so I would... Uh, I was doing a holy hour in the middle of the night sure. to to calm myself and, and hopefully get back together. But um, <laughs> <laughs> please, Lord, let it be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm or, glad it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, God's a lot wiser than I am. And so, yes, but over time, but especially, and if I were honest, it wasn't. In the seminary, as strong as it should be, it's been as an ordained man, starting with the diaconate and then the priesthood. But more specifically, I can't live without it. It's now it's it's mm-hmm. not a matter of going because I've signed up, or I've I've got a crisis going on, or sure. or for somebody in the parish that does. It's become and. Thanks be to God, by His graces, that it's a discipline. And I've gotten to that point that we all hope to be, and I have been flow in this area, but uh, that if I don't make my holy hour every day, and sometimes it's a holy half hour, yeah, uh, you know the deal there, that it something's missing. And it sounds cliche, but... It, When in Eucharistic adoration, and I'm focusing on adoration here, I know that uh, it's bigger than that, there's a peace. And even if there's a million thoughts going through my head and distractions, it it doesn't matter. Mm. It's not ideal, but I know that the Lord is going to burn me With those beautiful rays of Eucharistic grace, and there is never a time that I walk out of adoration not feeling uh, better, at peace, assured, knowing that I can face the day, et et cetera, et cetera.
0: Amen. 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 (laughs) So true. Like I can't, you can't leave like the presence of our Lord like that. Worse off. It just doesn't happen. That's right, and and just little devotional
2: pieces to the Eucharist that have been pious practices through the years with many Catholics. That doesn't necessarily happen anymore, but you know whether it's signing yourself when you're going in front of a Catholic church driving yeah. by, or even when we're going by our chapel, um, Adoration Chapel at the parish to make sure to sign myself genuflect. And, yeah. and all of that to, to really focus on and, and have an intentionality there. And I know the Lord appreciates that not to right. pat myself on the back, but that really helps foster the whole of it and sanctify us yeah. even
0: those little pieces, I think. I agree. I you know driving in the car with like friends or something or with my family and making the sign of a cross as we um, yeah as we drive by a church. And everyone's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm saying what's up to our Lord. Get off my back." Amen. Same thing with Mary. Every time I see a Marian statue in front of, in front of someone's house, I'm like, "What's up, Mama?" Just like, just a little, <laughs> you know, like you're know, just little, little something. Just a little something here and there. Uh, a little bit of reverence, <laughs> a little bit of love. The they love the shout-outs, So you're you're being a living witness there. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, the peace. The peace, the peace, like, yeah. I mean, if there's anything I've learned with just um, like discernment, and I, I would love your guys' pointers on mm-hmm. discernment. Um, don't want to, you know, miss that opportunity. But just this, you know, if you're make if you're if there's a decision to be made in your life, um, and you're contemplating multiple roads, uh, but just just follow the peace. Like, which mm-hmm. w- where's the peace? Because like that's how the Lord operates. Um, it's one of the the, the, the chief. Gifts of the Holy Spirit in Galatians five, uh, that Paul talks about. So just follow the piece, and uh, that won't that won't lead you wrong. So, what what advice would you give to anybody out there? You know, considering a vocation.
1: Um, yeah, go for it. So uh, everybody should be considering their vocation at a certain point in life. You know, mm. um, we are all dependent on our Lord for our lives. Our lives are not our own. Our lives are not our own. Uh, we belong to the Lord and. We have to be Mm -hmm. deferential to him and know that that is a process of building up trust in God's will, trust in Jesus Christ. Because when I admit to the Lord, I need him, everything changes, right? And so we have to have a little crisis of Mm -hmm. self-sufficiency at a certain point to realize I can't do life on my own. I need Jesus Christ. And once I admit that I need Jesus Christ, then I have to have a relationship with him to figure everything else out. And so that's what discernment is. It's the figure everything else out in the light of Christ through a relationship with him, right. dependent on the Holy Spirit. And that relationship, um, not only does it change everything, it gives you so much joy and so much purpose. Yeah. And so for someone discerning their vocation, they of course need to be before Jesus in the Eucharist. They need to go to mass consistently. They need to go to adoration and just spend that time to waste time with Jesus where it's not productive. It's not like you go in, check in. I have this question in regards to my discernment and I'm going to have it answered by the end of this hour. No, it doesn't work that way. We have to be totally dependent on him Mm. and just admit that he's going to reveal things as we need it in the best way we need it. Like for myself, I'm super impulsive sometimes and I know the way the Lord revealed my vocation to me was um, just all of a sudden like an impulsive decision, but it worked out and the Lord never took it away. I was at Mass with this girl I really liked in college and she wasn't Catholic. She was just coming to see what Mass was like. And the priest during the homily just mentioned the priesthood. He just said the word, the priesthood. And all of a sudden I got this clarity of that's what you should be doing. And I immediately had this internal yes to God. Okay, Lord, Uh. let's do this. And I told the girl on the way back to the dorm, I said, I'm going to be a Catholic priest. She thought that was weird. And then I called it That's them. a I'm, good
0: line. You know, that's yeah, a great
1: line. It's a great line. Yeah. More guys should have that line. Um, and then I told my mom and dad on the phone that I was going to be a priest. And my mom and dad were silent. And then my mom started crying. She asked if I signed anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's because it felt very impulsive. Like all of a sudden one right. day I, I wanted to be a priest. But the Lord, he kept me there and he gave me what I needed so that I know um that this wasn't just right. an impulsive decision. This is how I work, and he works within yeah. me in such incredible ways. So, yeah, yeah, if you're discerning religious life at all, just start with how much you need God. Discern how to his, how to follow his will today, and that will unlock the bigger picture for yeah. you. Yeah,
0: and just waste time. I waste time that. with I Jesus. What, I love what you said there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to confuse impulsivity mm-hmm. with boldness. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, like those those, those are distinct. Like sure. You, very much. So I, yeah, maybe that was just a an anointed word. You know, <laughs> I think you so. were just being bold. <laughs> it sure was. Yeah, bold or impulsive, you decide. Um, yeah, Father Pat, anything?
2: Yes. You know, it, I can't uh, deny anything that Father Andrew said. All great points. I would say, at some point. If you are thinking about, uh, and well stated, Father Andrew, that we should all be thinking about our vocations exactly, how we are going to serve the Lord, serve the church, et cetera. Um, But when it comes to a vocation of the religious life or priesthood, if you've got that in your heart anywhere, even if it's just in the intellect, and you've got to scratch that itch. Mm. You you can't let it go because it will keep itching. Trust me. And there's many ways to scratch that itch without um, signing anything, <laughs> <laughs> as uh, good Mrs. Strobel uh, asked Father Andrew. Um, and, you, you know, there's there's come and see weekends, uh, retreat weekends. Whether it's at a, a religious order's monastery or a, a diocese or a religious order of men, uh, religious brothers and priests, to go check it out because you do not get ordained overnight, mm-hmm. and it is a big thing. It is a big leap of faith to to enter into a discern a more formal discernment process. Um, for a diocese or a religious order, sure. But you know that you've got a lot of time, and God's gonna reward you for spending the time more formally discerning. Yeah, uh, many have heard it said before, but I'll say it again: uh, No man or woman that enters into that and discerns out, as as it were, um, doesn't receive an abundance of grace and it makes them a much stronger man or woman for doing that. Yeah. And I would just finally say um if you if you have an itch to be married, which most people do, most priests and religious do as well, that's healthy, that's normal. Uh that that you scratch that itch too. Um, you know, yeah. that uh that you date and see if maybe you're if you're called to be married right and uh, I think that makes a good balance and just spend time with it in prayer and yeah
0: yeah. I want to call it a lie um, from the enemy it's so prevalent in the world and the culture today that you have to do it alone like you have to do this isolated like you pray about it you just go and lock yourself in a room and you decide one way or another and it's like no no, I'm gonna put my priests out there for a second. Like, they would. I mean, I don't want. To, I don't want to speak for you, but I do. Like, they would love if someone reached out to the parish and was like, "Can I get lunch with your priest? Because I'm I'm kind of thinking I might be called to you know yada yada." That'd be awesome like right please
2: <laughs> those are the phone calls and emails that are the best right yeah right. That's so
1: true and it's all also true like whatever gift we have is for the good of the whole church and world yeah so we can't try to hone those in and on on our own and it, it is a beautiful when you get to the point where you do more formal discernment um with a community or with the diocese because it is just like dating in the sense that you don't get to just say yes I'm marrying you Mm -hmm. and the other person doesn't get a say. No, the church has to discern with you. And so that's a big part of it, too.
0: Yeah. Discerning within community Yeah,
1: Yeah. as a part of a body. Yes. Oh,
0: absolutely. Mm.
2: And I would say, you know, Father Andrew had great support from his parents, even up front with some surprise that happened with my parents as well. Sadly, we hear stories where families at times are not supportive necessarily. And yeah. to your point, Lee, there's a lot of people to talk to. It doesn't just have to be your family. My parents were very supportive, I just stated. And um, up front, the first time, because I've been in the seminary twice, um, they were supportive. And my mom was a little worried, as all mothers do, you know, you're going to be well taken care of, etc. Sure. But then I was only in the seminary three months that first time. Went okay. back out to the world for a year and a half. Went back, and boy, then was really worried. Mm. It's like, what are you doing? Mm. Um, but you know, three months turned into six, turned into a year, a year turned into three years, and yeah. over a little bit of time, and they were supportive all along, but um. I'm so glad you brought up that point that we're not alone. An individual is not alone in discerning. There's so many different people and resources, pastors, religious sisters, etc., yeah. that uh, that are more than willing to walk
0: with you. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and amen. Um, this, is, this is an open-ended question, but like, what do you think the Lord is doing in the
1: church today? Now, that is an interesting question. Um, I think (laughs) there's a lot. It's not just one thing. But um, in the document, uh, the Sacramentum Caritatis, uh, there was a line in there about how every uh, revival or like reform in the church happens with a rediscovery of the Eucharist. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's this opportunity for a rediscovery of the Eucharist for all of us each day. But especially as a United States church, we're being called over these years uh, right now to a greater Eucharistic amazement. And I need that. Like, I need that personally for my own revival um, and reform because, like, I don't love perfectly. I sin and the Lord is so merciful. But I know it's in encountering Jesus Christ and and actually recognizing who we are in the Eucharist. Because that's that's the other thing. Like the Eucharist is our identity. Yeah. It really is we had a bishop come and speak to us at seminary once that had these four levels of eucharistic piety and the first level is just recognizing that this is the most important thing in the world Hmm. when you encounter the eucharist and a lot of people just stay there that this is the most important thing even more important than anything else i encounter this is it but that's only the first level Hmm. the second level is actually recognizing that the eucharist is jesus christ and that this is the person of christ with us body blood soul and divinity And when we recognize that, then we can develop the third level, which is, and I'm in relationship with him. Mm -hmm. It's him and me, and we're together. But Uh, so often that's where we stop is just, I have a relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist. The fourth mm -hmm. level, which blew me away, which I think is so necessary for our revival and what the Lord's doing in the church, is that is my identity in the Eucharist. Like Mm -hmm. that's me united to Jesus and all of the saints and the communion of the church and the Holy Trinity that that's who i am and i think there's there's always a hunger for our lord in the eucharist but i don't think right now it's interesting when when father pat and i were coming into seminary it was more of an apologetics age yeah. of the church where like we wanted to defend like why the scripture pointed to the truth of jesus christ body blood soul and divinity in the eucharist we're now um i don't know if we're a post apologetic time or what it is but it's just weird um There's this craving for authenticity. There's a craving for more, as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. And the Eucharist answers all of that, every one of our desires. Mm -hmm.
2: I I think our Lord is definitely, to use that phrase, maybe shaking things up a little bit. If not himself, he's certainly using individuals, (laughs) um, laity and uh, religious and priest as well to bring a greater awareness to the truth mm-hmm. and uh, our late holy Father pope benedict the uh, encyclical um, one thing if i could just read yeah, a portion ahead. of it here that really stuck out to me especially as it relates to now he says jesus christ is the truth in person drawing the world to himself mm. Jesus is the lodestar of human freedom, and so lodestar meaning you know like a compass, a direction. Without Him, freedom loses its focus, and without the knowledge of truth, freedom becomes debased, alienated, and reduced to empty caprice. Uh, I could go on here, sure. but the point we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and. Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist and how amazing is it that Jesus left himself for us in such a unique way uh, just like he came into the world humble he wasn't born in a palace he he didn't come in as the chosen people thought and he left himself kind of in the same way and simple um, Bread, um, and going back to what uh, Benedict XVI said, mm-hmm. I think it really speaks to a slavery to sin, because to be t- he goes on to speak about freedom, and we know that true freedom is only found in Christ. And with everything becoming debased, uh, not to uh, have a pessimistic or defeatist mentality, but we do live in a very, very confusing time. And this relativism that is going on, and it's been going on for a long time,
0: Mm
2: -hmm. um, people are starving for and seeking, as Father Andrew alluded to, Are hungry for the truth, and without the truth, we we are slaves. Yeah, amen. To a to a multitude of things, and to I think to rid ourselves of of relativism, we need to look obviously to Christ and His Church. Yeah, and to do it in the Eucharist
0: is the best way to do it. Yeah, Um, and I I I love that because it's like being it, being in total alignment with the truth doesn't make you mean no you know it's like truth is truth period and it's like if we we just have to remember to be gentle about it
1: yeah, yeah. i mean and truth is not stale it's not a sterile it's not just like cold and harsh. Yeah, It's a person with yeah. a beating heart, a yeah. sacred heart that's in love with truth us. Truth
0: isn't dead. It's no. not an inanimate an object. No.
1: So it's not like it's just oppressive. Yeah, Like, oh, I, <laughs> I, fall, I found out the truth and now I can't have fun or I can't be that's who so I'm called funny. to be. Yeah. No, it's it's it is, as Father Pat said, the opportunity for real freedom. Yeah. Amen.
0: So maybe just like one last question for you guys before we jump into the document a little bit more deeply. Um, more deeply? Is that grammatically correct? Sure, it works know. for me. Great. Uh, <laughs> so many of our brothers and sisters in the world um, are, are on the fence about Jesus in the Eucharist. And like Pew studies, you know, we we all know that the data is like 70% of our brothers and sisters out there, of, of Catholics, mm-hmm. right, don't actually believe in the true presence. And um, maybe maybe it's through no fault of their own. Like I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but like, you know, what would you what would you say to anybody out there who might be listening today who, who who might be on the fence with this whole Eucharist thing? Um, What would you say? You know, I say this a lot from the uh, pulpit, uh,
2: periodically, or peppered throughout you know the year. Don't knock it until you try it. It sounds very simplistic, and I speak of the whole of our Catholic faith, but specifically to the Eucharist. Uh, Any naysayers that are not Catholic or our own brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church, either one uh, regarding doctrines of the Church, the truth, as Andrew, excuse me, Father Andrew mentioned, (laughs) it's not stale, it's not boring, it's, give it a shot. And, And to unpack that a little bit for them, to give some witness, mm. uh, I could speak, you know, whether it's Eucharistic miracles, whether it's the peace you get from adoration, the Mass, of course, mm. um, this Eucharistic celebration. Yeah. Don't knock it until you try it. Hopefully that makes sense. Right. Uh, yeah. You own, what do you have to
0: gain? Everything. Everything. What do you have to lose? Yeah.
1: Well, you can lose everything too. That's, That's true. the point. You're, it does cost everything. Yeah. But what's beautiful is like the opportunity we have to uh, invite the world to the Eucharist is ever ancient because it's just as ancient as the church, but it's ever yeah. new also. In these circumstances today, like we have to be honest with ourselves and how we view the Eucharist and really what our understanding of love is, mm-hmm. you know, because I think our understanding of love is so far from what the truth is. Um, That it's not use, it's not not manipulation, and it's not just self-gratification, but love is this total giving of oneself that we only understand when we encounter our Lord in the Eucharist, like to the full. Um, Because the Eucharist isn't just Jesus sitting there, it's Jesus offering himself for us. And that transforms everything. And once we open ourselves to the possibility that my understanding of love is too small, then we have to find out, well... Where, where's that right. desire in my heart going to be fulfilled, and that's in the Eucharist,
0: like the the fire of God's love. It 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 burns, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it burns, and it. What does the fire do? Like, if you were to put a bunch of metals over said fire, like in yeah. a, in, a, in a kettle or something, I don't know blacksmith terms, but like, it's going to separate it. You know, sure. like it it you know fire burns, it, it purifies, it separates, mm-hmm. and we when we come into alignment with the truth, like. Um, there's a separation that occurs within us, like uh, a departure mm-hmm. from the old, a departure from the lesser, mm-hmm. and we're we're just made more, uh, you know, purer and purer gold in the mm-hmm. Lord's eyes. It's wonderful. Um, cool. So I think now's awesome time. Let's let's jump in. Let's go ahead first into Sacramentum Caritatis. Today we're wrapping up this awesome document that Pope Benedict wrote, uh, that he wrote um, about the source and summit of the Church's life and mission. And, uh, just a couple of reminders for people like he wrote this to offer some basic directions, uh, to, to renew our commitment to Eucharistic enthusiasm and just like a, a general fervor in the church. Uh, he wanted to get people fired up. Okay. That's what Pope Benedict was going for here. Um, and he wrote this to bishops, clergy, consecrated persons, and lay faithful. That means everybody. Uh, he wrote this for everybody. This is not just like a, a letter to his brother bishops or whatever. No, he's, he's trying to, he's spreading the word, uh, far and wide, um, so yeah, today we're going to be focusing in. We'll, we'll, we'll be peppering in you know stuff from all over the document, but um, we're going to try and hone in on uh, paragraphs eighty four through ninety four, uh, or whatever the epilogue is like ninety seven or something. But um, yeah, so the focus of this section is just the uh, he he's really honing in on the Eucharist as a as a mystery um, to be proclaimed, to proclaim the mystery of the Eucharist, and what does that look like on a on a daily basis for Um, Christians. So, uh, yeah, I mean, gentlemen, is there anything that stuck out to you guys from this section, or anything just in general about this document that really um, hit home with you? Yeah, you know,
2: something that really spoke to me in the document, I'm not exactly sure where it was, but he, Pope Benedict referenced part of the Second Eucharistic Prayer, where he quoted, may all of us who share in the body and blood of Christ be brought together in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And he goes on to say, these words help us to see clearly how the res of the sacrament of the Eucharist is the unity of the faithful within ecclesial communion. The Eucharist is thus found at the root of the church as a mystery of communion. Mm. And we do find that we are most in communion with each other through the Eucharist. That's why we call it Holy Communion. Mm. And it got me thinking of sadly our separated brothers and sisters in Christ who do not have this, and and they can't have it. Um, Even uh, churches— mainline protestant denominations that might celebrate a form of communion and some of them actually believe that it is the body and blood but and and not to be snarky or but objectively speaking it's not because uh, of of the form and matter required right sure and so getting back to the point uh, unity is so very important for us on on a myriad of levels yeah. in our faith doctrinally etc um and our lord said oh how i wish you know that they would all be one yeah. and we've got this separation that's uh you know s- centuries old and What better way to come together and have that unity than through the Eucharist? How does that happen when you've got great Christian individuals that aren't Catholic, that are many, we all know, extremely holy individuals? They may have a straighter shot at heaven than I do as a Catholic priest through their holiness, but that doesn't mean they're not missing out on the fullness of the truth. Sure. And this is the source and summit of our lives uh, the eucharist Mm -hmm. and so maybe an antidote or an answer is for us to achieve better unity with our brothers and sisters is through making that whether it's mortification or fasting but focusing on the eucharist whether it's an adoration or reception of the holy communion Mm -hmm. and mass intentionally so intentionality to bring them back yeah or so bring back catholics that have fallen away that don't understand it or our brothers and sisters that have never really understood it yeah or don't believe it
0: um pray for them and but do it through the eucharist does that make sense i think so i think the what i hear you saying is like there are levels of communion like there are like we have like it is it is theologically correct that we have uh, communion with our brothers and sisters who are not catholic like we have baptismal communion right? we have right. the same holy spirit dwelling in us um if if we are baptized father son holy spirit um and granted there's you know there's a couple exceptions out there but that's not the point of this podcast yeah i mean you want the fullness of something right you know you you want the uh you, yeah you just want the, the the full factor in that the full fullness of jesus is found in the holy eucharist and like literally not just not just figuratively you know this is not symbolic it's it's literal so i hear what you're saying and uh yeah it goes to show how much work we have to do as church um and yeah if there's anybody out there who's like yeah i don't know i'm, I'm i might i just kind of have like a an intellectual understanding of the eucharist like and and don't have a i don't never have like a heart connection with our lord in the eucharist like uh I'm, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to put myself on the cross. Just like, I want to say sorry for, like, as church, because, like, we haven't done the best job always of getting to the heart of the matter. Like, maybe you got, like, Father Pat, you got 12 years of a catechesis, Catholic catechesis teaching, but, you know, the, the, the tumblers didn't necessarily align until later in life. So, I yeah, I just want to say that um, we're well aware and we're working on it. Yeah, and I grew up, I, I went to
2: grade school in the. Late mid to late seventies, early mid eighties, and things were different then. Uh, I, I don't think it was being focused on as much as it should. Now that said, half of it was my fault and my problem because sure. I wasn't paying attention and um, didn't care
0: a whole lot, to be mm. honest, at the yeah. time. Yeah, sadly. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's waiting for the the opportunity to just rock. All of you, Absolutely. all of us, all the time. You know, he's he's waiting and he wants to. It's not like God doesn't want <laughs> to reveal His love to us, and He does it all the time. Yeah, if you're open to it. Yeah, uh, something that struck me from this passage um was, yeah, something he he said it in 84 and uh, paragraph 84. He says that the love that we celebrate in the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist is not something we can keep to ourselves Mm. it's by its very nature it demands that's a strong word it demands to be shared with all what the world needs is god's love it needs to encounter christ and to believe in him the eucharist is thus the source and summit of not only the church's life but also of her mission an authentically eucharistic church is a missionary church Mm -hmm. come on And we too have to be able to say, we have to be able to tell our brothers and sisters with conviction that I have seen and heard. We proclaim also to you that you may have fellowship with us. That that passage from 1 John uh, 1, 13, just this, I hunger for communion with everyone. You know, like I, my heart cries when like during communion, um, I think of everybody who's not there. Everybody who's not there, because if people really knew and um again, like context, circumstances aside, like if everyone really knew what was going on here, this there would be no room in here. There would be none. Like we would have adults sitting crisscross applesauce at the base of the sanctuary, you know, like it would be packed to the gills. We would need security. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be awesome. So I don't know, my heart just breaks in, in a good way sure. for the opportunity.
1: But it's on us who believe to to bring the truth of the and beauty out into the world. Right. Um, and a couple paragraphs after that, the Holy Father said, "The more ardent the love for the Eucharist in the hearts oh, of the Christian on. people, yeah. the more clearly they recognize the goal of all mission, uh, the goal of all mission to bring mm. Christ to others, not just a theory or a way of life inspired by Christ, yeah. but the gift of His very person. Mm-hmm. Anyone who has not shared the love of." The truth of love with his brothers and sisters has not given enough. Oof. And that's, yeah. <clears throat> For us, like as priests, you know, we're so familiar with the ritual and with the prayers and with... um the holy things that it can be such a temptation to just assume that everybody's familiar sure. but familiarity is not enough mm-hmm. <laughs> because it has to be this encounter with the risen lord Jesus Christ and i remember when i first heard that that the eucharist is the risen lord who comes to encounter us like that was that was wild because that's that's someone i can have a relationship with mm. that's someone that i can truly um meet in in the midst of whatever's going on in my life And we have this responsibility to bring that encounter to others in such a way that, like, this is a beautiful rediscovery. I know Father Pat and I both work with people who are coming into the church, and it's such a beautiful privilege to see them kind of become awake. And that's really what it really is um, to the the truth of the Eucharist. Or when we see in the confessional someone who's um, Mm -hmm. convicted of their sin and they've either been away from the Eucharist for a while, they're missing Mass, or maybe they're, they're going to communion when they shouldn't be because they hadn't confessed first of serious sin and they're convicted of, no, the truth of the Eucharist is so much more yeah. that I'm missing out on.
0: Yeah. I, I just had some notes on that section as well. Just how like the Christian life does not end at living a life inspired. Yeah. You know, like by Jesus, it's not just a way <laughs> of life. He's not just a good guru. Yeah, who, He's like, yeah. I feel good. Oh man. You know, I'm just trying my best to, to just be, you know, no, it's like, it's, it's a lived relationship yeah. with a living person, capital P person, the living God, the giver of life. And it's like, I must, it is demanded of me. Like that word, just, uh, that word really is just digging at me. Like mm-hmm. it is demanded of me. Like the Lord demands it. Um, like his truth demands it. His love, his love demands it. Like, oh, it's it's not in a not in a mean way. It's just like this. It's this. If you're in with something, like it, that love has demands. Like yeah. r- love, like you know, it's just whatever. It's language, anyway. But just this, I have to live differently. I have to be different. I cannot look normal. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not saying be a Jesus freak, but like I can't
2: look like the world. Going back to what you said about, or at least referencing invitation, um, one of the things I really love to do is encounter somebody that has not had a a lived experience with Jesus in the Eucharist, whether that's in adoration or at the Mass. And so quite often when when someone comes to confession and they're going through a lot, and we're talking about maybe but not always one of those scheduled confessions, sure. right, where they need counseling. and talk. Or someone that comes in and is struggling in their marriage, has a child that's left the faith or addiction, whatever the case may be, I invite them enthusiastically. And I, I quite often assign as a penance Eucharistic adoration, mm. even if it's three to five minutes. Yeah. Cause I'm usually explaining to them what it, have you ever done adoration? You know, very, very quick course on yeah. what we believe as Catholics, what adoration is and what can happen to you. Yeah. And you have to be convicted of that and truly believe the possibilities yeah. of living a Eucharistic life. And and I'm blessed and graced to to have that. And they're usually kind of blown away. They're Uh, they didn't know it to this degree. They've never done it. And for me, it's like a no-fail solution. Mm -hmm. I give other advice uh, when people need uh, to work on things, to walk them to the Adoration Chapel, open the door, explain to them a little bit more from the outside if there's people in there and their questions. Well, so should I do yeah. do whatever you want. Just be respectful. Don't yeah. be loud. If you want to read something, if you want to pray, if you want to fall asleep, but you are going to have an amazing experience. Yeah. You're not going to be floating out of here or anything. Don't but you're going to be positively affected. So we need to invite people to this. Yeah. and to be enthusiastic about it. Uh, in a real way, and yeah. it, I've seen it change lives, and and they start going to adoration, and they start bringing
0: their their children or or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So. Yeah, because you come out different. You you do like after after an encounter with our Lord and an encounter. It doesn't have to be like a, you know, oh my gosh, I just levitated and that was awesome, and you know I don't have to go on this like week long retreat with. Monks who chant all the time and and whatever to have an encounter with our Lord, it could be something as simple as stopping in for a minute or two. And I forgot to mention,
2: not just adoration, I'm speaking a lot of adoration, but the Mass as well, as we've spoken of, is we're at Calvary and uh, we're at the crucifixion and the tomb and all of it at once, and I advise people, especially ones that say I don't really I don't get anything out of it. I don't get anything out of the mass and I don't well, first it's it's not always about what you get out of it. Sure. It's it's about others as well being there for them and doing what God is commanding us. But if you want to get something out of it and you should, then how closely have you ever really listened to the parts of the Mass? I want you to start really listening to mm-hmm. the Eucharistic prayer. Listen to these words. Yeah. They're timeless and so is the Mass. And when they start to have a deeper understanding that it's it's not just ritualistic, it's real. Yeah. And it's it's outside of
0: time and all this deep stuff, I think they take to it yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Like, The Mass is a prayer to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, It's a sacrifice. It's everything. So amen. Yes and amen.
1: Yeah, I still remember when Archbishop Kellherd spoke to us as seminarians and said that we need to have in our hands um, both at the time it was called the sacramentary but the missal and the lectionary. Because both are our prayer books. Mm-hmm. Like if we thought about it that way. I know a lot of people who have little daily missiles, which is great. Yeah. Um, but really to think about it this way, that this is, yeah, our prayer book is is the missile of the mass.
0: Missile, mass. Let's get into that. Like let's unpack. Oh, it's so good. He says mission, mass, missile, all of it comes from the same word, uh, from the Latin, mitere, mitere. I don't know. I'm not a Latin speaker, but I think that's how you say it, right, guys? Don't you guys speak Latin like to each other and stuff for fun? No. I used to be fluent, but um, (laughs) it's it's waning. I want to live a life so radically different because of the Eucharist, because of what Jesus does during the Mass, because of um, everything that flows from this source and summit, right? Um, I want to live a life so different that people ask questions about me. Like, why do I live the way I do? Like I I want to gauge the level of fruitfulness of my life by how well I'm I'm witnessing to Christ by like these these questions that I would get like why are you so happy? Mm-hmm. Like why are you why are you so joyful? Like how how do you like how do you have how do you raise kids in this world, like in general? Like how do you manage three kids under four? Like how do you raise a family on a church salary? That's a great question. How do you have like like what is it that you have? What do you have? Because I want some, you know. Like I want to live a life uh, where where people are asking that question after they they encounter me, and it's like that excludes nobody. Like I am like that's the call of the, that's called Christian. Like that's not the call of Lee. Yes, it's the call of Lee because Lee is a Christian. Lee is a Catholic. Like that's the reason. Um, like, that, that I'm under that umbrella. I'm, under, I'm holding the same umbrella that you are. Like, we're under the same umbrella. This is, this is for everybody. Like, am I inviting Jesus into the coffee shop with me as I pick up my daily dose of caffeine? Mm. Am I asking him to go before me and to follow me and be at my side? Am I asking the Holy Spirit to inspire me and to strike up a conversation and to make a, make a, an encounter possible for people? Like, am, am I inviting Jesus into Aldi or Costco or Sam's, as when I know it's time to go grocery shopping. Like, am I am I on all the time? Like, there's no red lights in the kingdom of God. Like, it's it's green lights all the time, everywhere. It's like, am I inviting my kid? Am I inviting Jesus into the uh, into my kid's school when it's you know time for parent teacher conferences? Like, am I inviting Jesus to come with me into the gym as I pick up my kids from practice? Like, am I asking Jesus to give me opportunities to bear witness to Him in my daily life? Uh, And like my mission territory, I just, I'm so convicted of this because like, this is the call, like, again, Christianity is not some cathartic guru nonsense, just a feel good lifestyle. It is not, it is not like Christianity is a relationship for mission, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm just, I'm so convicted of that. And it's like, where's my mission territory? Well, I'm here to tell you listeners that your mission territory is everywhere you go, everywhere you go, your sphere of influence my friends, my family, my peers, my, my co-workers, my cashiers, my servers, people who serve at restaurants, whatever, like my neighbors, the guy who changes my oil, my literal neighbors, that's not a figurative statement. Like literally the people living next to me, either in an apartment or in a house, like neighbors remain neighbors nonetheless. I'm going on a big tangent here. But it's, just, it's good stuff. Like mission, mission costs something. There's an entry fee to get a ticket into the kingdom. Like there is an entry fee to ride this ride. And I, I just thought this was so cool. Check this out. What is written on almost every? Think of like a paper ticket of something. What do you usually see written on said paper ticket or that's printing printed on said paper ticket? It's been a while. It's okay. <laughs> it's been a while because I, yeah, something about electronic no exchanges. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Sorry. Super weird leading question. Um, Admit one. Oh, oh. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Admit yeah. one and admit is short for, Admission, mm-hmm. which means to yeah, descending. The, the, the sending. Mission comes from the Latin mitere, which is to send. So tickets are your proof of being sent. Wow. <laughs> That's so cool. I just love it. It is cool. Like by the door attendant, your proof of being sent, you're allowed in. Come on, so good. And see, I like this line
2: of reasoning, of logic, because Jesus... Uh, our Lord God did mount a mission to rescue us and to save us, and when that happens and when we are baptized, we have a mission. We are called to be missionary disciples, right? And so this should be exciting to people, especially in a time when people are looking for excitement. Not not always the right kind, of course. They're, we know they're looking for it in the wrong places, but... Um, to be a disciple to, of Christ is to be on mission. We are the church militant, and that doesn't have to have a violent uh, negative connotation because it doesn't in this regard. Mm-hmm. But we are to be active. We, we are to be proactive um, militant and to take risk. It does cost. But the reward, not just when we are called from this world, but right now, it brings much peace, satisfaction, joy, Mm -hmm. pain, yes, challenge, yes, but those even can become, they certainly make us stronger, but... Um, they can become sources of motivation, too, because we know we can overcome them with the Lord, with the sacraments of the Church, with the teachings of the Church, and with, again, in that unity with our Mm. our fellow Catholics
0: uh, advancing the Kingdom. Something else that really struck me, in paragraph 88 he says, "...the Eucharistic mystery thus gives rise to a service of charity towards neighbor, which consists in the very fact that in God... And with God, I love even the person whom I do not like or even know. (laughs) Anybody out there got people uh, you don't like, um, welcome to the club. So this can, he says, this can only take place on the basis of an intimate encounter with God, an encounter which has become a communion of will, affecting even my feelings. Then I learn to look on this other person, not simply with my eyes and my feelings, but from the perspective of Jesus Christ. Like the the Christian, Life the Christian way is uh, is a process, and it's like um, we have the opportunity every 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 moment and every place and every time every season to pick up those those glasses of the Father's heart and to look upon the world, to look upon uh, one another w- through the Father's heart mm-hmm. and His love for them. Long, yeah, it's awesome. It, r- it just... reminds
1: me of the famous line of Mother Teresa, Saint Teresa of Calcutta, when her sisters. Um, we're saying, you know, we have too much to do. Can we cut short our prayer time, and, and in front of the Blessed Sacrament? They thought that would be, you know, a way to be more efficient, right? And all that. And she said, no, we're going to double it, double up, <laughs> yes. And I love that. Like, but what you're touching on is so important that we don't see our neighbor as we should, yeah. Without seeing them as God sees them, yeah. And so, otherwise, even our service can become some form of of use of our neighbor. Um, mm. And and not out of actual love.
0: Yeah. Oh, speaking of joy, he says this in paragraph ninety-seven. He says true joy is found in recognizing that the Lord is still with us, our faithful
1: companion along the way. It is amazing when you consider all the circumstances our Lord makes Himself present in, in the Eucharist. You know, right. um, on battlefields and the most humble little circumstances, in a in a small yeah. chapel in the grandest cathedrals. Um, with the people in front of him in, that he's inviting to union, who are at every circumstance of human existence yeah. that could possibly be, and uh, and he makes himself known, and that is our true joy: is that we're not alone. And thanks be to God for it. Amen. Yeah. Um, it's always amazing at the end of these writings from the the popes; they always address our Blessed Mother Mary, yeah. and that is such an incredible thing to take to prayer: is that. Our lady shows us who Christ is in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember when I first encountered someone who was um, so infatuated with the fact that like our lady, our Lord in the Eucharist truly abides in us after we receive Holy Communion for like, you know, I don't know how long, half an hour or something like that. Right. And she tried to calculate how many times she needed to receive Holy Communion to be like our lady and have Jesus abide in her as long as she was pregnant. And it's just amazing when you consider like our Lady's love for our Lord, yeah, and then to consider that she too received Him in the Eucharist. Then, after His Ascension, mm. uh, it's wild. That's wild.
0: Father Andrew and Father Pat, thank you for your thank priesthood. You. Thank you for your priesthood. Thank you for your fatherhood. Thank you for your your pastorship ship hoodedness. Thank you for <laughs> um, something like thank that. Thank you for your sacrifice. Like you've made your life like you truly are a living sacrifice. And it's only because of you and your yes that we have the Eucharist. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Awesome. This has been great. God bless you. Yes, God bless everybody God bless listening.
0: You. So this has been New Mana. Oh, by the way, I, I get ahead of myself. You know the drill. I'm still new at this. For more information about the Eucharistic Revival and for a library of prayer and formation resources, please visit slash revival. And if this podcast has blessed you, and I really pray that it has, please leave a review. On Apple Podcasts or, or whatever listening platform you are on, and and share it with your friends and family. Because if you leave that review, five stars, and uh, it's it's you know short and brief, it's gonna actually help um, this podcast like rise to the top when people are, are browsing for new podcasts to listen to. So we want to get the good word out there about the Lord, get the good word out there about the Eucharist. So please uh, leave us a, a an awesome review. Uh, but this has been New Manna. Uh, we will see you next week. But before you go, Father, who's the who the who's older here? Father Pat, will you 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 being the elder just of this a bridge, little. just a smidge? I'm older, we, but Father Andrew's holier. So, but I, I'd be happy. To. Would you be happy to close us out in a blessing? Absolutely.
2: Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we give you thanks for this time together, thanks for our vocations, and for the great and beautiful gift of the Church and the Eucharist. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And the Lord be with you. And And with with your spirit. spirit. May Almighty God bless
0: you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Let us go in peace. Thanks be to God. This has been New Manna. We'll see you next week. All right.
1: God bless.